Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. This is Terrence Wilson, lead pastor of Cool Church. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we want you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message. So I want you to turn to Zechariah. You say, where's Zechariah? It's right after Haggai. We've been in Haggai. You say, well, I don't even know where that is. All right, go to the middle of your Bible. Actually, go to the New Testament. Go to Matthew, and then go backwards. Go to Malachi, then go to Zechariah. Zechariah is right between Malachi and Haggai, okay? So it's in the Old Testament. So if you go to the New Testament, that means you went too far, okay? Go backwards uh, to Malachi, and then Zechariah is right before it. Zechariah is a minor prophet, and we'll talk about um, what Zechariah means in this word, and I'm excited about it. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Zechariah chapter 1. Verses 16 through 17. And before I like uh, jump in, how many of y'all been like coming in here for the last few weeks and it's just like felt really cold? It's like brick. Like the hawk is inside. Like the hawk is out. I wanna I wanna apologize. Like I, I know it's hot outside, but we did not mean it to be like a freezer in here. Um, the, the construction company that is doing work all over the entire building, they're renovating some things in the school. They've fixed all the ACs. How many glad the AC's fixed? Okay, but with that being said, they still have control over the AC, so we can't control the temperature. It's like off or on right now. So just bear with us, pardon our dust, as they are improving the school. Eventually, we will get control of the AC. But here's the good news, because my mama and daddy always taught me to look on the brighter side of life. I know we live in Florida, but now you get to wear all your fall and winter fashion when you come to church. All the jackets we can't wear, all the sweaters, just wear them in here. And the church said, we tried to help out in the lobbies. There's some tea and there's some coffee out there. Like, if you get real frigid in service, you can slide out for a second, just gra- grab a cup, come back in, it'll warm you up, and then you can get the, you can get the fire of the Holy Ghost in here. Amen? Amen? So we apologize. I just wanted to address it. I, want, I didn't want you to think, I'm passing out now. He out here trying to freeze us out. No, I'm not. Um, we're trying our best to bear with it because I would rather be in here than out there. Amen? Amen. So with that being said, let's turn our Bibles to Zechariah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. They read something like this. Therefore, man, if this don't get you excited, I don't know what will. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Who said it? All right, just want to see if you're paying attention. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says, my towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Thank you for somebody that received that today. I'm going to read that last part again, because if that don't get you going, I don't know what will proclaim further. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow. Look at your neighbor say overflow. With prosperity, the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. 
You ain't excited yet, but you about to get excited. Amen? Today, if you're taking notes on this final message in this Heart for the House series, I've entitled it this, Overflow. Overflow. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for these moments that we have together. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for my family in the building, the ones that are still on the way and the ones that are watching online. God bless them. God, before the earth began to spin on its axis, you knew each and every human that was going to be in this place today. And God, I pray that you would open hearts, minds, and ears to be open and receptive to a word that will always and only be about Jesus. God, may I lie down as you rise up. Don't let these words be my own, but let them come directly from your throne room of grace. And God, I pray that your son Jesus will introduce himself to somebody that doesn't know him or reintroduce himself to somebody that's been far from him. God, we love you. We thank you. And we, we trust you, God, that you're going to allow the overflow to happen in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody set? Everybody set? Somebody give Jesus one more shout of praise. So, like I've been saying, today is Heart for the House Sunday, and many of us have prepared our very best over and above our tithe to build God's house for the vision of 2024 of Cool Church, which is multi-site. We will have more than one physical location. And the church said, how many of you know God blessed us with a building this year through a church merger with our brothers and sisters from the Fountain Church? Amen. So we're going to do multi-site, multiple campuses, multiple locations, physically and virtually. Yes, we're going to hook the online campus up with an online campus pastor. And the church said... It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. But missions, we're not just going to keep doing things here on this soil. We are going to do things on foreign soil. And we're going to build churches overseas. And the church said, but then, man, we are going to bolster our, our, our ministry work, man. We're going to bring in some new staffing, some new pastors to help. Because as the church grows, we want to make sure that you always are connected to someone that can help you and bless you as we try to help everyone that is a part of this house build strong families to build strong futures. Amen? Amen? So for the last five weeks, I've been preaching from a book called Haggai, who was a minor uh, prophet. And I, I, I love this because, you know, we always talk about the major prophets like, you know, the, the Daniels and, and the Samuels and guys like that. But I want to talk about some of the minor prophets because they have some major importance as it pertains to the gospel. In the last five weeks, we've been breaking down Haggai. He had four messages for the people after they were exiled. They were exiled for 70 years, God's people. Why? Because of their disobedience. They didn't listen to God, and God was like, I'm going to kick you out of your own city. I'm going to let somebody rule over you. The Babylonians came in, and they ruled over uh, God's people, and eventually, after 70 years, he allows them to come back to their own homeland. But what happens is, is they start out excited that God brings them home, so they start out by building a temple, but then they stop. They stop at the foundation and they leave God's temple jacked up for 14 years while they go build their own homes. They forget about God because they prioritize themselves. They prioritize their house over God's house. So God sends the prophet Haggai to say, hey, it's time to wake up. 
and he speaks specifically to the priest, Joshua. He's like, hey, man, these people got to repent. They got to they get in line because their focus is on the wrong thing. And he also speaks to the governor, Zerubbabel, and he's like, y'all got to get to building. Like, y'all got to start prioritizing my house. And last week, we talked about the fact that the governor, Zerubbabel, who was here last week, he was what? Chosen. He was what? He was chosen. He was chosen. And I, 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 love, I love the fact that Zerubbabel is chosen. And I want, I want to double down on the fact that there are folks that may be in this room or may be watching online. And you don't feel like you are chosen to do God's work. But God, I hear me when I say this. Hear me when I say, God does not choose you based upon your past. God does not choose you based upon your pedigree. God does not choose you based upon where you come from. God chooses you based upon what he designed you to become. So you may not feel like you're chosen because of what happened in the past, but God says, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you ever made one mistake, I already knew what you would become. I chose you based upon that, not based upon all the things that you would do along the way to getting to the purpose that I designed you for. You are chosen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm chosen. So now let's put this verse that I read into a little bit of perspective. So now we know that Haggai calls out the high priest in Joshua. He calls out the governor Zerubbabel and they get excited and they start to build. But I, I love this because Haggai was not by himself when he was prophesying to God's people. There was a young man who was way younger than, than Haggai, because Haggai would have been in the older stages of his life when he prophesied to the people. There was a younger prophet around at the exact same time that confirms the calling of Zerubbabel, and his name is Zechariah. So Haggai and Zechariah were both prophesying to God's people at the same time after their 70-year exile. And they were both focused on rebuilding. Both prophets were focused on rebuilding. I want you to get that. And Haggai, he comes to deliver a message that God will restore his temple. I mean, you know that God cares about his house. Amen? But Zechariah came to deliver a word that God will restore his people. God didn't just want his physical temple rebuilt. He wanted the temple of living stones, you and me, to be rebuilt as well. Amen? God doesn't want to just build his house. He wants to build the living stones. He wants to build the people of his house. And I love Zechariah because his very name means something. Anybody know what Zechariah means? If you don't know, I'll tell you. It means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. This is perfect because the book of Zechariah is all about how God remembered his people. He remembers his people and he plans to restore everything that they lost from the exile. I just want to remind somebody that feels like life is not going the way that they thought it should go, that God has not forgotten about you. God remembers you. He remembers the plan that he has for you and he wants to restore you. For his word says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope 
in a future, we serve the God that the only thing that he will allow himself to forget is your sin, but he will never forget your purpose. He remembers you. Our God remembers. So, after the exile, he sends Zechariah, the Lord remembers, to remind the people that God has not forgotten about him. And he does this by giving Zechariah a set of prophetic visions. I, I, I love this because in the first half of Zechariah, we get eight different prophetic visions that encourage God's people that he has not forgotten about them. And they are meant to point the people back to God and encourage them once again that God is not forgotten. In the second half of the book, we get um, what, what theologians will say are the most messianic prophecies we get about Jesus than any other book will offer. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, they believed in the coming of the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that, that would connect, reconnect God back to um, his people. And Zechariah, in the second half of the book, gives us many of these prophecies that we actually watch Jesus fulfill. For example, y'all remember when Jesus was riding into the city? Anybody remember what he rode in on? That, that prophecy comes from guess where? Zechariah. Zechariah tells us about that. And there are many Messianic prophecies. Once again, more than any other Old Testament book, Zechariah gives you. So just, I would challenge you to read through Zechariah. It's going it's to be very confusing because, once again, there's a lot of visions there. But there's also a lot of prophecies that confirm that Jesus Christ was who he said that he was. Now... With its many visions and its highly symbolic language, when you read Zechariah, it sounds like two other books that a lot of people find very confusing to read in the Bible. One is Daniel and the other is Revelation. Why? Because there's a lot of, we get, we get the culmination of our end times prophecies from these three books. There are some other books where we hear some other prophecies as well, but most of it comes from either Daniel, Revelation, or Zechariah because not only are these messianic prophecies to speak about the time where Jesus was on the earth, some of these prophecies have not been fulfilled yet because they will not be fulfilled until the second coming of Jesus. How many of y'all in this place know that Jesus is coming back? We're not just preaching a gospel that sounds good. We're trying to preach the gospel that's going to get people to eternal life with Jesus. But here's what I want to tell you. Do not act like you got all the time in the world. I ain't trying to scare you. I just believe in a very real guy that will come back for his children. Amen? Amen. We ain't got no time to play. The Bible says he will come like a thief in the night. Amen? So you got to be prepared. You got to be ready. So when you read Zechariah, like, don't be alarmed if it does sound confusing. This, is, this stuff is very complicated to decipher, and theologians have been debating some of this stuff back and forth for as long as time has been going. And today, what I'm going to try to do is to give you the simplest explanation I can for a prophetic vision that Zechariah sets us up with so that the people will remember that God has not forgotten about them. So in the first chapter of Zechariah, he gets this word from God that causes the people of God to repent. And he says in Zechariah uh, 1, 6, the second part of verse 6, he says, Then they repented and said, 
the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to. They repented because they realized, you know what, the only reason that we got kicked out of our homeland is because we messed up. See, I love this because the Bible says there's two things that God will never despise, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. What does a contrite heart mean? A repentant heart. Somebody that can admit when they have done the wrong thing and actually say, I'm sorry. How many of y'all know those people that just can't say I'm sorry? We love those people. We love those people. But see, God's like, hey, you know what? Like, when you're wrong, you got to be able to admit that you're wrong. Like some people's lives would change if they could just admit that they're wrong. Yeah. Some people rather, <laughs> some people rather be right than happy. Like, you know what? When I'm not wrong, I could put my pride down. When I when I know I'm wrong, like I could put my pride aside and I can say, you know what? I messed up, man. I messed up. You know what that allows me to live in? Peace. Peace. But some people just can't hold on. I got to be right about everything. They're so, they wrong and strong, as my mother would always say. <laughs> but God likes a repentant heart. So when the people repented, you knew that it was real repentance because they like, yo, our sin is what got us in this in the first place. They were able to admit that they messed up. And then after this, verses 7 through 17 of chapter 1, we get this vision that God gives Zechariah to tell the people. And I'm going to try to interpret it the best that I can based upon many different uh, uh, biblical commentaries that I've compiled and read to give you the consensus of what amazing men and women of God throughout the centuries have said about this specific passage, okay? I'm going to try to give you the best. Like, I was like, I can't even preach this unless I can understand this. So I'm going to give you my best understanding based upon all the things I've read. And the church said... Okay, so Zechariah gets this vision. He sees this, this prophetic vision of a man who is on a red horse. And the Bible will call that man the angel of the Lord. When you hear that phrase, angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament, what it is actually referring to is the pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ himself. In the New Testament, Jesus is born a baby in a manger. He gets a name that is given to him. But before that, in the Old Testament, nobody knows him by that name. So you'll hear it and you'll see it many a times. Like oftentimes preachers have preached things like, oh, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was in the fire, there was a fourth man in the fire. The Bible does not specifically say Jesus, but preachers have preached it that way based upon that context of the angel of the Lord. They believe that is the pre-incarnate, that's just a fancy word for before Jesus gets a physical body, the pre-incarnate form of Jesus revealing himself in the Old Testament. So, Zechariah sees this vision of the pre-incarnate form of Jesus riding on a red horse. When you hear about him riding on this horse, it is not to be confused with the four horsemen of the apocalypse that you may read of in, in Revelation or Daniel or things like that. It's not to be confused with that. This is a, a very specific instance and a very specific uh, 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 vision here because at the end of the day, when we talk about Jesus in the end times, it doesn't say he's going to ride in on a red horse. It says he's going to ride in on a 
white horse. So I don't want you to get those, those two things confused. Jesus rides on this red horse, the pre-incarnate form of Jesus rides in on this red horse, and he has other riders with him. Riders on uh, red, speckled, like brown and white spots, speckled, um, and white horses. And the colors, no one really knows their significance. Some suggest that the red horse would, would signify Jesus' authority as commander-in-chief because that red represents war. But once again, all of that is speculation. And it's not what I necessarily want you to focus on. So Jesus is standing in this, this, this grove, or excuse me, this, this ravine, this, this lower place with these things called myrtle trees. And he's standing there. And he has his horse, and then there's some other horsemen, and he has sent them out to go and survey the land. He's like, y'all go, go, go check out the land and, and report back to me what you find. This is the vision that Zechariah is getting. So they come back, and they give this report, and they say, man, the, the, the land is at ease. Every, every, he's like, all the world is at ease. And the man standing amongst the myrtles, which is Jesus, he's not happy about this report. So let me kind of break this down so you understand this. Once again, all this is contained in verses 7 to 17. You can go back and read it. I'm just trying to give you the best breakdown that I can. Once again, we know the rider of the red horse, theologians believe that he represents Jesus. Once again, in his commander-in-chief form uh, on a possible red horse talking about a wartime type of general. The ravine represents Jerusalem and how it's at a low place. Why is it in a low place? They just came back from exile. They have nothing. Right? They lost everything. They barely, they barely even started to rebuild the temple. All there is is a foundation. So their status in the world, you got the Babylonians, the, the Assyrians, the, the Persians, all these people have a greater stature or a greater world power than them. But you see this, this low place where it's interesting is growing myrtle trees. These myrtle trees are awesome because... They speak to the potential of God's people. The myrtle trees actually represent God's people. Why? Because myrtle trees can grow up to 30 plus feet in height. So it's interesting that in this low place, you have these super tall trees. He's saying y'all may feel low today, but do not count out your growth potential. Yeah, that's good. That might bless somebody today. You may not like where you are right now, but never discount your potential. Your potential to grow. Is this helping somebody today? Okay. So, he's standing amongst his people in a low place, but he's, he's excited because he's like, you know what? They got potential to grow. But then he's dissatisfied when he hears what these other writers, these other writers represent angels that are sent throughout the earth to see what everybody else is doing and see what's going on. They come back and report the world is at ease. This frustrates him. And he, he begins to make this commentary that I am jealous for Jerusalem. That's what the rider on the red horse says. I'm jealous for Jerusalem. Why does he say that? Because everybody else, all these other nations, all these other powers, they comfortable while God's people are in torment. They comfortable while God's people are in a low place. Now, God is the one that allowed them to go into exile. He's like, I have used these other nations to teach my people a lesson, but they have abused their power and they have kept my people down for too long. So now I'm jealous for my people. 
And you know what? I'm about to flip the tables on everybody. I'm going to take these people that are in a low place with this growth potential and I'm about to usurp all of this other, all of these other nations that think they got it going on. I'm about to flip the script on them and I'm about to put my people back on top. Because I'm jealous for them. They have repented to me and it's time for me to give them what I promised. That's the best interpretation of that vision that I can give you. So, Jesus is jealous for Jerusalem. The other nations, they taught God's people a lesson, but they took advantage of them. They kept them in a low place. They stripped them of everything that they had got. And he wanted those myrtle trees. He wanted those people to, to not forget, I have not forgotten about you. I remember you. I remember you. I know you looking around and seem like, you ever looked around in life and you feel like everybody passing you? God's like, I ain't forget you. You right where you're supposed to be right now. You're right where you're supposed to be because I'm right next to you. Right? So now we get to Zechariah 1, 16 through 17, the verses that we started with. And I promise this, this won't even take long. I want you to see what God is going to do for his people because they turned back to him and they built his house. This would not happen if they did not repent and say, I was wrong. I deserve what I got. Right? When they chose to connect with God and repent, Watch how he decides to build their house because they decide to build his house. Two things I want to pull from these verses. The first one is this. Write this down. I promise you it's going to bless you. We cannot build without God's mercy. We cannot build without God's mercy. Zechariah 1.16. You have to understand the vision before I can give you the breakdown of these two verses. So I hope you caught it. Zechariah 1. 16. Therefore, this therefore is after he says, man, I'm jealous for Jerusalem. Because I'm jealous for them, therefore, here's what I'm about to do. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'll return to Jerusalem with what? With what? And there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Oh my goodness. I love this. Jesus responds to the people's suffering with mercy. He responds with mercy. What is mercy? In Hebrew, it's raham. Raham. And that means compassion. He responds with compassion. God's mercy was God's way of making good on a promise he made a long time ago to those people. And I love this. Did they deserve exile? Yes, they did. They did through their disobedience, but they turned back to God. And I love this. They may have deserved exile, but what we deserve, hear me friend, because this is going to bless somebody. What we deserve does not disqualify us from God's mercy because he has compassion on us. Did they deserve the exile? Yes, it did not disqualify them from his mercy. It did not disqualify them from his compassion. Oh my goodness, I love this. Zechariah, like Haggai was meant to get them to turn their hearts to rebuild God's temple, but Zechariah wanted to reach the heart of the people because he wanted to build them back up. So he lets them know God has not forgotten about you even when you got it wrong. Even when you messed up. Even when you didn't get it right. 
Some of us think God doesn't want to build with us because of our mistakes, but God's mercy sees beyond our mistakes. This is the God that we serve, and I hope this is encouraging somebody, but your blunders and bad decisions do not disqualify you from building with God. Your family tree does not disqualify you from flourishing with God. Your rebellion does not disqualify you from restoration with God. Your lack of faith does not disqualify you from finding fulfillment with God because God has mercy and compassion on his children and he's looking forward to building with you no matter what. He wants to build with you. The question is, do you want to build with him? Do you want to build with him? Because when God builds because of his mercy, here's the best part. It's always bigger and better than what you deserve. We've defined mercy or grace as unmerited favor. Getting more than you deserve. How many of you want more than what you deserve? I know I do. That, that doesn't make you like selfish or pro- I want more than what I deserve. Why? Because that's what God's mercy affords me. More than what I deserve. When God builds because of his mercy, we always get more than we deserve. Look at the second part of Zechariah 1.16. This is the part that gets me so excited. It says, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Some of you are not excited about that because you don't necessarily know what that means, but that's okay. That's why I'm here. The measuring line... I love this, will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. So not only is God going to provide his mercy, but now he's stretching out the measuring line over Jerusalem. Here's what the measuring line was. The measuring line was a line that marks out walls, gates, streets, and homes for an entire city. It would have been a pole or a cord that somebody would take and they would literally measure lengths to mark out, listen to what I said, gates, streets, homes of an entire city. Did you catch what I just said? Some of y'all ain't catch it yet. The walls, gates, Streets and homes of all of Jerusalem were measured with the line because the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord. What you need to see here is that because of God's mercy on the people, he is stretching out a line in order to build, but not just his temple. Did it say that the measuring line was stretched out to measure the temple? It sure didn't. That line is stretched out to measure what? All of Jerusalem. God does want his people to build a temple, but that's not all he was trying to build with his mercy. He's like, if you start with the temple, I'm going to stretch the line to the gates. 
I'm going to stretch the line to the streets and I'm going to stretch that line all the way to your houses. I wish somebody would get the fact that God wants to extend what he's building, not just to this church, but he wants to extend it to this city. But not just to this city, he wants to extend it to each and every one of your homes, all the way to the people of God because that's the kind of God that we serve. When you, when you repent, when you come back to him, when you prioritize him, not only is he going to build his house, he's going to extend it to build your house. This is the type of God that we serve because of his mercy. He doesn't, he doesn't have to. He's like, I'm going to give you more than you deserve. You want a church? I'm going to give you a city. You want a family? I'm going to give you millions of families. I'm, this, this, the, God, the God we serve always gives us more because he, ex, he extends what he is building when we decide to build what he wants us to build. God will build our houses and our communities as we build his house because of his mercy. Can't build without mercy. But finally, we can't build without God's overflow. Can't build without the overflow. Zechariah 1.17, listen to this, proclaim further. He is like, yeah, I'm going to extend this thing beyond the temple all the way to your house. But he was like, when he said proclaim further, he's like, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Proclaim further. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. My towns will again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort. I love that. Zion and choose Jerusalem. Overflow in Hebrew is poots. Poots. And it means to spread abroad. To scatter. To disperse. Notice. I love this. God is about to spread out, spread out his prosperity to this people. Why? Because when he overflows with prosperity, you know that God will overflow with prosperity in your life as a form of comfort. Look at it. He says, my towns will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort. You think God wants you living check to check? You think God wants you living in lack? You think God wants you to just be making it? He wants you to trust him because he's the only one that can make you comfortable. I'm going to prosper you in such a way that you're going to live in comfort. I'm going to allow it to overflow with prosperity. God's going to bring comfort to his people of his house by spreading out his prosperity among his people. Why? Because we've made a decision to prioritize his house. I love this because if you read that passage again, you notice what it does not say? It doesn't say temple. It says proclaim further. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My temple will again? No, 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 no. It says my towns. My towns will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. When, God, when God's house prospers 
everything around that house prospers. Not just the temple, but the house prospers. Your house prospers. Why? Because this is how God works. He works in abundance. So when the blessing comes down, it has nowhere else to go but to overflow and spill over to everything that is surrounding the thing that he has blessed. So he's like, I'm not just going to bless the temple when you rebuild it. I'm going to bless the towns. And where do you live? You live in the town. So that means that the blessing is going to spill over and overflow on you. I don't know about you. I need some overflow in my life. I need overflow in my household. I need overflow in my marriage. I need overflow in my family. I need overflow in my health. I need overflow in my business. I need overflow in my finances. I need overflow in my attitude. I need overflow in my gifting. I need overflow because if I have an overflow of wisdom, then I'm going to be able to manage all the rest of the overflow. But most of all, I need an overflow of God's presence in my life because I can have too much of a good thing, but I can never, ever have too much of a God thing. I need his overflow in my life. If you believe it, say amen. I need overflow. I want to be around whatever God is blessing because it's going to overflow on me. Some of y'all looking at the house of God like, like it's crazy, but don't you see the blessing that's happening in this house? I just want to be close enough so it spills over on me because I want everything that I have to be blessed. I want everybody surrounding me to be blessed. Overflow. Watch what happens when you live in overflow. Remember when I told you that the people came back from exile after 70 years? Remember when I told you about that? And I said, when they got back from exile, the first two years they didn't do anything. Then they got inspired and they started to build God's house, right? And they built the foundation. Then what they do? They stop. They stop for 14 years, a decade and a half. They just, they stopped. They were uninspired. They, they stopped building because they wanted to focus more on themselves than building what God wanted to build, right? They got comfortable and they forgot to prioritize God and they left the temple sitting unfinished for 14 years. They lost a decade and a half of time. A decade and they lost a decade and a half of overflow, y'all. Of overflow. Because they were thinking more about themselves than God. They, they lost the overflow because they wanted to live outside of the overflow because they wanted to live for themselves and not God. They paused 14 years from building the temple. But when this prophecy is given by Zechariah, y'all, after the 14 years, after this prophecy was given, that 14-year pause prophecy, they rebuild the temple within four years. Four. Pause for 14 could get nothing to happen. They get an overflow prophecy and they rebuild it in four. And I just want somebody to catch this. Overflow doesn't just prosper you. It helps you make up for lost time. I don't know if they with me. I don't know if they next. I don't think... I don't think, I don't know if somebody caught, I don't know if you catch it, 
what I'm, I'm throwing out. Because when God is for you, he's going to make up for all the time in your life that you lost. Because when you live in the overflow, you're not just building up by yourself. You are building with the power and the prosperity of God behind you that wants to flow on you and overflow to everybody around you. Well, I serve the God that helps me redeem all the time in life that I lost. Because when I try to build by myself, I feel powerless. But when I build with God and he puts his super on my natural, then I can do things faster than I would have been able to do it all by myself because of the power of overflow. Yo, you might be missing it, but we living in overflow. Y'all, last year, this church reached 47 different nations online through YouTube and through podcasts. This year, we are reaching 56 nations. Overflow. Last year, you can put the video up on the screen. We were one church with one service and one location with the live stream. Put up the next video, because that's where we are now, but look at where we're expanding to, y'all. You need to see January 2024, we gonna be one church with three locations, online, Miramar, Miami Gardens, with three services. I would call that overflow. Last year, we had no physical presence overseas, but I want you to start showing those pictures because people need to see. This year, we are building a church in Kenya. That is the church right now. They are meeting right now. That is Pastor Wayne Deary and his wife with them right now. They meeting, they ain't even got a building. But before this year is done, they gonna have a place to meet because we are living in overflow. But if that don't get you excited, I hope this will. Because last year, we baptized 111 people. But this year, the year ain't even done yet. We've already baptized 195. That's called overflow. But here's the best thing I can tell you about what God is doing at this house. Last year, we recorded 573 salvations. But this year, the year ain't even finished. We have already recorded 826 salvations. I believe this is going to be the first year we see 1,000 people saved in a year at Cool Church. I don't know about you, but that looks like overflow to me. Overflow. Things are happening this year faster than they've ever happened. Why? Because God's overflow in your life will redeem the time you lost by accelerating your growth at a pace you could never move at by yourself. You may have felt like the enemy has robbed you of your time. But because you're not where you want to be, but I want you, you just got to hear the word of the Lord today. God's about to prosper you. He's about to overflow you. And your growth is going to be accelerated because of the overflow. Because you decided to prioritize 
God's house over yourself. Today, I want to unlock a blessing of overflow on this house. All over this house. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you so much for tuning in. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends and family to be a blessing to their lives as well. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.